pulsed electromagnetic field therapy, known as PEMF, has been used to treat pain and other ailments for a long time. But recent developments in the technology has significantly reduced the size and cost, making the technology available to wise athletes who would like to have the convenience of in-home treatment. The use of direct electrical stimulation, such as in TENS units, is commonly used to relieve pain. PEMF is also electrical, but different in that it does not send an electrical current through the body, but rather creates an electrical field in targeted bodily tissues for a variety of FDA-approved effects, including knitting non-union bone fractures and treatment of musculoskeletal pain. According to my guest today, PEMF has roughly the same level of effect as the strongest NSAIDs, but with a much longer duration of effect per dose and with no development of a drug tolerance requiring larger and larger doses over time. It also has the advantage of not having to dose the entire body to get a benefit. Today on episode 113, I am talking with Dr. Bob Dennis, professor of biomedical engineering at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and inventor of the Micropulse PEMF devices. Bob's background is quite amazing. He is both a scientist and an old school tinkerer who has been at the heart of PEMF development since his work for NASA to develop and build a PEMF device for the International Space Station. I'm sure you've heard something somewhere about magnetic field therapies providing pain and healing through non-invasive anti-inflammatory effects. To my ears, this all sounded a little too much like those x-ray glasses that I ordered in 1975 that never arrived. But I was wrong. So listen in, hear Bob tell all about the PEMF industry and how to sort out the good from the bad and hear in detail about the benefits of PEMF, including Bob's own discovery that PEMF could address his debilitating back pain to give him back his life. It's an amazing story and PEMF might just be a solution to your own pain and inflammation issues. All right, let's talk to Professor Bob Dennis about PEMF. Professor Bob Dennis, welcome to the Wise Athletes Podcast. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you. Thank you for agreeing to come on. This pulsed electromagnetic field therapy, you know, it's just one of a set of things that I'm starting to hear more and more about. And maybe they've been around for a long time and I've just ignored them because I thought it was all unbelievable. But more and more, I'm starting to think that there is something to these things. And this is one that I've been hearing more and more about lately, along with one that I just did an episode on of infrared and uh, red light therapy, which was another one of those where I just did not believe it for the longest time. Wouldn't even look into it until one day I decided I was going to buy one. And sure enough, I got some benefits out of it. Uh, not everything that was promised to me, but I, I got enough benefit out of it that I was glad that I have it. And I'll tell you what, I use it every freaking day. I was using it this morning. So you know, maybe this uh, pulsed electromagnetic field technology will be useful to me and the, to my audience. And so thank you for coming on. For the audience's sake, I wonder if you could give us a little bit about your background, you know, your educational background, where you get your PhD in, and how are you involved in this field? Okay. Well, those are, those are good questions. And, and uh, you and I had a little bit of a discussion, you know, before this that I wanted to say, you know, how, how can you know if anybody really knows anything because so many people in this field present themselves as an expert right mm. and they have these you know hidden agendas they're trying to make a buck or more than a buck or something and so my strategy has been that you know i have a very open um 
internet presence. People can check on me, my credentials, and I'll tell you a bunch of stuff, and I'll tell you how to check on it. <laughs> you know. Good. And Good. so I started off as a mechanical engineer in Detroit designing car parts and stuff. I had worked in defense aerospace industry, working on guidance systems for anti-satellite missiles, actually, way back in Ronald Reagan, Reagan's era. I was working on Star Wars to shoot down missiles and stuff like that. I did that, too, for a while. Then I decided to go back and get a Ph.D., and I ended up getting my Ph.D. at University of Michigan in biomedical engineering. Uh, And I worked on uh, several master's degrees at the same time. I got two of them, and I also worked on one in oceanography and one in physics. I kind of just like to know that kind of stuff. I'm that kind of person. Sort of like the kind of person who hangs around a place like U of M. And um, I like to learn stuff, but I'm also very practical. I like to reduce it down to, you know, how do you make something that's useful? Because at heart, I'm a mechanical engineer, right? I know how to build stuff. That's what I do. So I got into these, into um, building scientific instruments for biomedical engineering and physiology research. And it turns out that's a really rare skill. Because it kind of you have to take electronics and optics and mechanical stuff, sensors, and you have to understand how physiology and anatomy work and, and biology. And you got to you got to kind of a little bit be a jack of all trades. And like I was saying, I've done my education sort of led me to that point. So I started making a lot of biomedical instruments and started a company with a friend of mine to make uh, physiology measuring instruments for mostly for muscle muscle physiology and. Um, one of my degrees, actually, my master's degrees, is in kinesiology, exercise, sports science, movement control. So I have some background in, in you know, athletic, uh, you know, scholarly study of athletics too, and in neural development and stuff. So, I, well, one of my friends, one of my colleagues at University of Michigan, Kathy Clark, she was a visiting senior scientist when they were getting ready to launch the International Space Station. This is a while ago. And yeah. She was doing some work with the, she was a physiologist, so she was doing work with physiologists at Johnson Space Center, and they all needed a scientific instrument, and somehow or another, my name got thrown in the hat, and they said, hey, would you, would you build something for us? I said, oh, I don't know, maybe, if I can, if I understand it, and they wanted a pulsed magnetic field device to be put on the space shuttle in what's called a mid-deck locker. So they need something that's about the size of a microwave oven or smaller to go into these experiment lockers to make magnetic pulses applied to cells in culture in orbit. And my response was very negative. I said, why in the hell would you want to do that? That's a bunch of crap. <laughs> you know, you guys, because I, I had a little bit of familiarity with the literature because I was familiar with electrophysiology and how to stimulate muscle and nerve and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, the magnetic stuff, that's just rubbish, right? And it had popped up in the late 50s and early 60s. And and a lot of it was done by the Eastern Bloc, like in Russia. And, uh, well, Soviet Union, right? The the evil empire. And if you ask, if you ask any Russian scientist who escaped and who's telling you the truth, they'll tell you that if it's in writing, it's a lie. And they have all the, yeah, anything from, from Soviet Union or Russia that their scientists have so many perverse incentives to just lie about everything that you, you really yeah. can't trust any of it. And so, like, magnetic therapies were this thing that had this, this sort of haze of, like, Eastern block sort of pseudoscience, 
kind of gypsy charlatanism, you know, <laughs> all, all those negative words associated with it. Yeah. And people wouldn't do legitimate research. There was some people who were doing it in the, in the U.S., but not most. And I told these guys, I'm just really not interested in that. It's just a waste of time. So, being point number one, when Bob came into this field, he was a super skeptic. Unlike everyone else who, that I know of who's come into this field who was looking for making a product that they can make a large margin on. Yeah. Right? So, I entered the field as the guy, you know, throwing up the red flags saying, this is rubbish. So they finally talked me into doing this at NASA, and they said, look, we'll pay you as a consultant, and you can run the experiment. I said, okay, well, that's that's essential. You need to let me run it. So I made it a super strict double-blind experiment. I built all the instruments to apply these very well-calibrated magnetic pulses, but I put all cryptic labels on the, thing, on the controllers so they didn't know what they were doing. And then when they ran the experiment, on these cells in culture, they were normal human neuroprogenitor cells, NHNP cells. When they ran the experiment, they wouldn't know what the settings were, so I would have to tell them, okay, set it to A7, you know, like really cryptic. It didn't mean anything, right? They, they didn't know if they were applying a field or not. So they did this, and this was the early days of, like, uh, gene chips when you could put a little sample on it and tell you which genes were upregulated, downregulated. It's really, you know, this is 20, 25 years ago, so... But it was um, just the beginning of really having genetic, meaningful genetic feedback on when you're what you're doing to a cell and how it's responding genetically. Right? We got this unbelievably strong signal of response, a, 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 you know, a, a positive outcome from this experiment. Huh. Magnetic fields were applied. We had this tremendous uptick, like by seven, by a factor of seven or more, for genes that were related to cell growth production of extracellular matrix, growth and regeneration, metabolism stuff, compared to not having the pulses. And we were shocked by that. I was shocked by that. So I was like, okay, skeptical BS flags are going up. I said, send all this stuff back to me. I recalibrated everything, relabeled everything. I sent it back to them, and I said, rerun the experiment. Reran the experiment. We got exactly the same result. All right. So then I'm thinking to myself, okay, there's a point at which you could be a skeptic, and then there's a point at which you can be a, kind of an idiot. Yeah. Following the data. I mean, some scientists do this, okay? There's a thing called the Planck principle from Max Planck, the famous physicist. And you would think it's a, it's a principle about physics or something, but it's not. The Planck principle, <laughs> you're going to love this, is... That science advances one funeral at a time. I've heard this. It's very funny. <laughs> true. A lot of things are like that. Here I am, like twenty. Actually, at that time, I was just I just turned thirty, and I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hold this science back until I'm dead. So I'm like, okay, I gotta change my opinion. I'm not gonna be one of those guys, right? Yeah. So anyway, I was like, okay, the data is telling me that I was wrong, totally wrong. But that's what's great about science is you want to be wrong. Want your hypothesis to yeah, be more interesting than you thought it was, okay? But most people in academic science, which, by the way, is why there's a lot of skepticism about academic science, and it's pretty well earned, is that people don't write their hypotheses and don't run their experiments anymore where they can uh, be wrong and have that be a good thing, right? Well, they also have trouble getting published if they right. don't show a positive result. 
well, the thing is, if you write an experiment the right way, you could you're you're testing is it a is is it a or b, and both of those outcomes tell me something useful, right? But people tend to write these experiments so that I'm going to prove a and not b, and then when they do their experiment, if it doesn't prove a, they don't want to publish it, and even if you want to publish it, you have this thing called publication bias, which nowadays yeah. is more than ninety percent. Okay, it's it's nine out of ten papers. 10 pap- nine out of 10 papers that have a negative result will never be published. Right. They can't because the author doesn't want to publish them. The journals don't want to publish them. Nobody wants to publish them. But it's the way I think of it, I explain it to people, is it's like looking for your car keys. What's the most important per- piece of information once you've lost your car keys? Where the keys are not. If you don't have a good list of where you didn't put the keys, you know, okay, it's not in the freezer, didn't drop it in the toilet, it's not on my nightstand. If you don't keep that list, and science is the same way. If you don't have a good list of things you tried that you know are not true, then you're not making progress. And that, in a nutshell, <laughs> is what's wrong with academics, is they don't do that very well anymore. So as I was doing this with, PEMF, that's how I was doing it. That's how I keep presenting it. It's, for me, it's like a whole uh, comedy of errors of me uh, making wrong assumptions and doing experiments and proving to myself, nope, nope, it does work. And so, like, people could say, you know, how does Bob Dennis know anything that, you know, that these other experts don't know? Well, I'm a legitimate scientist. I've been doing this. I've been publishing this. And, you know, Here's what you do. Any of these PEMF companies, ask to talk to their scientist before you spend money on them. Talk to their staff scientist. Virtually none of these companies have a legitimate scientist. You know, and you'd have to do a little bit of work. Okay, where's your university? You know, what, what, what's your research? You will find that in virtually every case, these companies selling PEMF, they didn't do their own research. They're just copying somebody else's work or they're copying this old Eastern Bloc you know, Soviet work from the 1970s and they're putting it in a shinier box and they're selling it yeah. for $50,000, right? Yeah. So this is how I changed my mind on PEMF. And that would have been 1998, roughly. Finally, we finally did that. So what happened since then was that, uh, you know, they got some patents and a paper out at NASA, but it turns out like everybody involved in this is just a, Kind of a dirt bag. So the guy who published the paper at NASA, he was just a technician, and the actual guy running the lab, he was uh, he was a serious science, uh, serious astronaut, test pilot. He was up on the Mir space station at the time. Oh. I was 800, 900 miles away. So this technician published it. Didn't include us on the paper. So the famous NASA paper doesn't have my name on it. Wow. It was scientific misconduct for which the guy ended up getting fired. So here I am doing everything I can to do this right and. Still, step number one involves scientific misconduct from a technician at NASA. Hmm. So what are you going to do? People just go crazy when they start to do this kind of research, right? But I have subsequently done about 25 years worth of research on this. To me, it started off interesting and something I thought was kind of important for controlling and and, and sort of... uh, inducing cells to go into like a growth and repair phase. And I, I thought that was all pretty interesting and worthy of scientific study, right? So I had a couple of awards from DARPA. You're probably familiar with DARPA. 
to study this early on and did that with NASA again, you know, back then. But then I kind of quit working with them when it became this misconduct issue. That I had to actually have an internal investigation at NASA. And I'm thinking that kind of put me off of this a little bit. Yeah. And so I stopped doing it for a little while. And then I, um, and this is kind of important, I started getting a lot of phone calls, like pretty frequently, from companies saying, hey, we're trying to license the NASA technology, but they say they don't know how it works. And we got to contact you. <laughs> so I got I had probably eight or 10 different companies contacting me saying, hey, can you help us? We're going to try to license it from NASA to do something or other to make uh, biomolecules to oh, everything from cosmetics to uh, you know drug discovery, stuff like that. <clears throat> and I helped them to the extent of, that I was able to. So I had a bunch of these different systems shaped in a different way. You know, for like different flasks and stuff like that. You can, you know, you, you can see the image, Joe, behind me. I'm sitting in the laboratory here. So, um, anyway, you know, for the people who are just listening to the audio, I, I pretty much am a, I'm a lab nerd. I just live in a lab. <laughs> so, I was sitting in a lab, very much like this. Um, I had, I had hurt my back, believe it or not, as a volunteer firefighter. Huh. And I was on a fire call at like two thirty in the morning, going to rescue a lady and her two daughters from this burning house. So we was saying, okay, it's a rescue. You gotta, you know, don't, don't, don't dally, get over there. So we're going about 75 miles an hour, which we shouldn't have been doing. And we're going into Durham, North Carolina, which I was not that familiar with because my district was outside of Durham. And as I was putting on my SCBA, you know, the air tanks to go in, I was twisting my back and we hit a train track level crossing about 75 miles an hour and my back has never been the same. I mean, really bad. So anyway, turns out the lady was fine. She had escaped and her daughters, but, uh, but I think I was the only actual person harmed really badly. And so I, I, for, for a couple of years, I was seeking any kind of medical help. And finally, finally, a, a, a back surgeon, uh, an orthopedic surgeon had me go to his office. He came in, closed the door. He said, okay, Bob, I'm going to tell you the truth. You are inoperable. He's like, don't let anybody touch you with a knife. He said, if they tell you they're going to make you better, they're not. That's a lie. Don't let anybody touch you. He said, you're simply going to have to learn somehow to deal with this. Oh. Right? So that's kind of my story. So now i got a dog in the fight. All right? And I had not ever connected... PEMF, which to me was sort of a side gig academically and personal injury. Right. Totally unconnected to me. And then they, you know, then it started getting harder and harder for me to get the, you know, kilograms of oxycodone every day that I needed. Because I was in like, I'm not kidding you, really bad pain, really bad dysfunction. Yeah, back pain can be disabling. Calling it back pain is... Is like calling a Dixie Cup a Pacific Ocean. I mean, this, this was this was way more pain than I wow. actually thought that a person could tolerate, and I was gorped out all the time on oxy. It was terrible, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, here I am, you know, not even forty years old yet, and I'm just completely broken because I used to lift a lot of weights, a big mountain biker and stuff. I'd be in your position if I hadn't done that, right? I'd be, I'd be out. You know, doing you know the trails every day, but I, anyway, yeah. so it didn't work out. That way. That's not that's not the card I was dealt. So um, one day I just I couldn't even I 
couldn't breathe anymore really. I was like, I had to take really shallow breaths just because I couldn't expand my rib cage. Right? The pain was so terrible. Couldn't sleep, I couldn't lie down, I couldn't stand, couldn't, couldn't do anything. Sort of crawl to a computer. And I'm like, okay, what has anyone done on the internet? I was doing like my hundredth search. I'm like, somebody somewhere must have done something. You're willing to look and consider anything, huh? I'm willing to consider anything. Then it was exactly one in the morning, and I thought to myself, wait a second, I got this thing sitting right here in my other lab. It's this PEMF thing, and it's like hooked up, and all I got to do is turn it on. And it had a big white plastic ring that had my coils inside. So you're supposed to put a bottle inside with a cell culture so it could spin, right? So I'm like, well, you know what? I've tried everything else, and I'm I'm done. I'm at the end of the rope. So I grab this coil, put it behind my back, with great effort, lean back on it, turn the machine on. I could hear it clicking, but nothing, nothing going on. So I'm like searching the internet, and at 1:14 a.m., I happen to to see the little clock because I had a kind of a larger clock down on my computer. I got the best chiropractic adjustment that you could imagine. It was unbelievable. It was like cracking up and down my spine. Crack, crack, crack. I could hear it audibly. I'm confident that if another person had been in the room with me that had said, oh, my God, what's that? Because it sounded like you, I stepped on a, on a big pile of dry twigs. Yeah. It was unbelievable. But it hit me so hard in my central nervous system that I had like stars counter-revolving in my visual field, right? Like when you see stars, like you get in yeah. it a frying pan or something it was crazy and i was like you know anybody who's had back pain first thing that goes through your mind is oh my god what did i break you know oh my god i'm suffering yeah. this, right then i realized wait a second the pain's gone and i had not felt no pain at this point for a long time and i was like well that's weird and i literally i wiggled my toes maybe i'm not feeling pain because i severed my spine my I've done that. So I wiggle my toes. I'm like, well, wait a second. Okay. I can feel my feet. Move my toes. So I can sever my spine. I got no pain. So it's like, no way, right? So I woohoo, right? First thing I did was get a good night's sleep for the first time in a long, long time. Mm -hmm. The next thing I did was I went out the next day and I still was in no pain. I went mountain biking. It was cool. And after about day and a half, two days, I started to feel a little achy. By two and a half days, there was, there was some pain coming back. Right? So I thought, well, I don't know. I had a couple of decent days. Maybe life is not all dark and grim and terrible, right? Maybe maybe, maybe I have to slip back into hell. I can't do anything about it. But maybe I can because I got the device upstairs. So I went upstairs, did it again, got a much smaller adjustment, but pain was gone. It was just gone. And it wasn't pain masking like you get with TENS or with oxycodone or anything where, you know, it's the pain is there, but it's being blocked, right? This was like I turned the device off and it was persistent for hours and days. Huh. And so the second time I did it, it was like it worked. And then I was like giving myself this treatment every every other day and it was just pain free. I was like, you gotta be kidding me, right? So um, anyway, you know, I, I went through this emotional everything like this, and it was a big it was it was a consulting gig that I was doing for a company. That wanted to make biomolecules for some application. I don't even, well, I could remember, but I don't want to, you know, bother people with it. Seventy-two thousand dollars for this setup that I was making for them, and I thought, well, okay, this is something that everybody's going to need. 
because <laughs> a lot of people have back pain and not a lot of people have 72,000 bucks to blow. So how do I take this microwave oven size contraption and make it smaller and reasonably priced? And then I, I hadn't even until then, I had not even looked into the PEMF market. And as you know, Joe, because we talked about this, um, the PEMF market is filled with really large, really overpowered, expensive stuff. Yeah. And a lot of it's just fraudulently marketed. So um, the, the, my goal in life from that day was to make it small, safe, effective, affordable, so that you and me and our grandchildren don't ever have to experience the kind of pain that I was going through. But the worst part of that pain was being told that nothing could be done about it. I don't know if it was, it was really the, the lack of agency, the lack of ability to, to do anything about it, just to live with it was the worst part. Because then you lose, not only do you have pain all the time, but you have hope. Yeah. I mean, the thought had flitted across my mind, you know, I would gladly subject myself to a full year of torture in North Korean prison somewhere. As long as they didn't cut major things off, I would do that happily for a year if I could have the hope that at the yeah. end of that, I would be out of pain. I mean, it was that desperately stupid when I was at the, at the low point. And so I have, I have really deep empathy for people who are, are, have this hopeless feeling of pain. And, you know, now with all the whole, well, you know, you can't even get oxycodone anymore. There's like, or it's really hard to, and it's bad for you anyway. You use well, it. it had to interfere with your work. I mean, it interfered with your mental processes. So how, you know, how could you do it? Oh, there was a long time I couldn't function. And it was like, and the other thing is, is that oxycodone, for people who've had really serious pain, they're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. It doesn't make the pain go away. It makes you not care about it. <laughs> oh. Right? And that's, a, that's the weirdest feeling. It's like, oh, man, I'm in terrible pain. I don't care. <laughs> that's what it does. So it's, well, it's, every time the doctors have tried to give it to me, like after a surgery, you know, yeah. and I had a pin put on my collarbone or something, I always said, no way. Cause I, you know, I didn't, all I knew is that people got addicted to that stuff. And so I, I don't want to take any chance on that. Right. Well, well you were smart too. And I mean, fast forwarding to now after 25 years of working on it, you know, I've got a little company, I make these things uh, for people. I, um, I actually have, have a mission where I've been trying to help everyone in the PEMF world to like straighten up their act, start telling the truth. Even my competitors, you know, in business, I will help them if they make a better product. Why is that? Why would I help my competitors for free? Because if PEMF is a better and more believable and more effective and more affordable product, more people will use it, more people will benefit. And that makes things better for everybody. Yeah. It just makes it better for everybody. And that's been my, that's my approach. And, you know, I didn't come into this to make money. I came into this as a highly skeptical person who then got a really serious injury and, and benefited from it tremendously. Yeah. Which focused your attention onto it. So this is good. I, you know, I found you because uh, somebody had bought your product and had liked it. And so that sort of directed me to, look you up. And of course, yeah, as you mentioned, there's a bunch of these things that are out there. And when you read the websites, you can tell that it's all a bunch of bull. I mean, maybe there's some truth in there someplace, 
But there's so many over promises that it's like, oh, come on. How can I believe this stuff? So I just didn't really know how to begin to uh, investigate this because I, I, I told you I had some success with near-infrared and, and red light lamp that I also could not believe all of the things that were being promised. But I decided because the price point had gotten low enough that it was worth just taking a chance. And I actually got some amazing benefits out of it. You know, and I thought, well, gosh, you know, maybe I'm wrong about a lot of these things, these weird things that don't, you know, they're not like you take a pill or it's in your, you know, you're doing exercise, you know, the standard stuff that medical science has been telling us to do forever. You know, these energy-based things, maybe there is something to that. I mean, heck, going out in the sunshine makes me feel better. Maybe it's something like that. I don't know. So anyway, I'm glad I found you because you're the right guy to tell us about what's real. How does it work? Why does it work? Maybe we don't know why all of why it works. <laughs> why did NASA want to do it? I don't, you know, I'm not even really sure. Uh, although I do, I do know from a previous podcast that space travel and aging have a lot of overlaps. They are that NASA, this is what uh, my guest had said, NASA views space travel as an analog to aging because a lot of the same things happen you physical condition deteriorates your heart atrophies and it stiffens you know you start to accumulate a bunch of radiation maybe you're gonna you know have a cancer starting your bones demineralize and get weaker Uh, this sounds like getting older right well this is what happens to astronauts when they go into space and so probably they were interested in something when they were asking you to help them design this thing that would help with some or all of those um, attributes. So maybe these are things that are good for the older athlete too. I think they were angling kind of that way. Uh, they they really have always been pretty seriously desperate almost to, to find things that you can do to living systems in space that makes them better hmm. because almost everything about being in space is not very beneficial. Yeah. <laughs> right. We're not adapted to it. Complex organisms, especially don't do well. Yeah, and the normal stresses are gone, and so the body just starts to fall apart. Yeah, absolutely. So, so um, that's that's where I'm at, and I I, I kind of you know I did this. I've been doing this privately now. I run my own company, which is called MicroPulse, and um, have a forum where I have you know quite a lot of people. I've, I've probably probably had up to about maybe nine thousand customers up to date. That's great. You know, I've got a forum where I ask people to, you know, tell their, we know, I don't, don't do any cherry picking. It's not like, you know, give me a testimonial, right? And I pick the best yeah. out of a hundred or something. It's just tell, have everybody talk about it. And half the time people say it doesn't really help me. And then yeah. other times people say, oh man, this thing is a lifesaver. So let me give you the basic pattern here. If you're young without injury and really healthy and I get this a lot from like elite athletes or something. Hey, can it make can it make me function at 110%? Not really. Okay. But if you're over 40 or 50 and you occasionally have injuries or you have severe injuries, the older you are, the more severe the injury, the better it works. Okay, so it's not making you better than human, but it can get you back to some normal function. So when I talk to, and I won't name them, but everybody would know who they are. These many people who wanted to interview me until I told them that, you know, all the all the bloggers who want to, you know, get uh, 
people to 110%. That's not what PEMF does. It doesn't like supercharge your mitochondria and it doesn't any of these other claims. What it seems to do is it seems to, because here's the thing about PEMF, it's astonishingly effective for an unbelievable range of things. So a lot of the claims you see on websites for PEMF, there's actually a scientific paper or two in a clinical report, or sometimes many that say PEMF does this. But PEMF is not one thing. It's about, it's, it's many different ways of doing PEMF. It's almost as, well, it's more than the differences in chemicals, right? So to say PEMF is good for you or not is like saying, is as silly as to me, sounding to me is, oh, chemicals are good for you. It's like, okay, what chemical are you talking about? Water, testosterone, plutonium, you know, seriously. Well, can you give us a little bit, uh, you know, of ex- examples of the different varieties of PEMF? What can you vary when you make PEMF? You can vary the frequency, that is how, how often the pulses come. You can vary the intensity. You can vary patterns in the pulses, right? But way more importantly, and this is what I discovered at the experiments at NASA, is you can vary the shape of the pulse. Like a lot of people would think, oh, it's just a sinusoid. No, that doesn't seem to work very well. You need to make a pulse that turns on quickly and turns off quickly. And you can measure how quickly it turns on and turns off by measuring how quickly the magnetic field goes up and then comes down, right? And when you vary all of those things, you start multiplying all the different things together. If you, if you, and, and, and you know, you contact the FDA and you say, okay, what are, what is a legitimate difference in PEMF that would require retesting? And they basically will say, you know, any change, but any change, you know, is 10 hertz the same as 11 hertz? Is 10 hertz the same as 10.1 hertz? You know, you know, so I pinned them down and, and they kind of were like, well, within a percent or two. But it, So if you vary these parameters and you allow them to change by a percent or two, and you multiply them all together, the number you get is one quadrillion different ways of applying PEMF. That's one with like 15. So we don't have time to go through a quadrillion alternative. So we're not going to go through a quadrillion. So when I did the experiments at NASA, I said, when you divide it up into the universe of like major different differences, you only get six. Huh. That sounds like a number we could deal with. And then I did further research and said, well, two out of these six really do have a biological effect. Huh. So that was pretty cool. So then I started patenting these things just because it's a good invention. Nobody had bothered to do it before. And I kept narrowing it down and narrowing it down. And then I'm like, you know, well, if I can do it, so here's the engineering, right? If I can do this where I'm really figuring out what part is working of the electromagnetic field, the glorious part is that I cannot do the stuff that's not having a beneficial effect. So I keep uh-huh. removing that, right? So that way you're not exposing a person to a lot of extraneous extra energy that you don't know what it's doing. And what I was able to do, I kind of think my biggest my, my biggest contribution to the field of PEMF, aside from being just brutally honest, all right, um, is to say, let's cut out all the crap part of it and just do the part of the electromagnetic field that works. When you do that, what's really interesting is it only takes 0.2, that's one five hundredth, 0.2% of the energy of a typical, you know, whole body luggage size, $50,000 PEMF system, and you get the same benefit. 
This is one five hundredth of the energy. So instead of being the size of luggage loot suitcases, right, that you have to plug into a wall where you normally plug in on like a clothes dryer. And yeah, I've seen these things. Right. These things are huge, right? You need to have wheels on them because they're too heavy. But if you can make it that much more efficient, still get the same biological benefit, 500 times more efficient, right? You can run it on a 9-volt battery, put it in your pocket. No way. Yes way. And that's what, that's what I sell. All right. And so does this have anything to do with the square wave thing that um, I read about? Yeah. This is, everybody argues about it. And, and what everybody says square wave, and they assume that, that the edges are nice and square. But if you look at the magnetic fields, they're kind of sloppy. And it's like, just because you're putting in an electrical square wave doesn't mean that it gets filtered through all the amplifiers and the coils and that you actually get a square magnetic wave out. Actually, if you don't do it carefully, you get kind of a smeared, like almost like sinus. But if you do it carefully, and you and then there's a range in which you need it to be quickly increasing and then quickly decreasing. And I did enough experiments to know, to know what those numbers are. And, and I have those patented mainly so that, you know, dirt bags can't patent them and then keep them away from people. I mean, like drug companies do. This is, this is all stuff I've published. Right. You, you, you can, I've got a hundred videos. The patents are public domain. The only time I will enforce those patents is if I think somebody's trying to abuse people. Right. So basically that information is in the public domain and I defend it, with, you know, as being in the public. If somebody wants to make it for themselves, whatever. Yeah, it's right there. man. I, I tell people exactly how to do it. It's not a secret. Um, it's not simple, but it's fairly easy to do if you know what you're supposed to do. And, and so that's my major contribution is that I just took the truth and I just put it out there. OK, let's veer into talking about what is it doing you know this square wave thing and putting energy into the body and you know okay yeah so what what does that mean what is happening that is then having these i guess at the cellular level that is then having some downstream benefits for pain and healing and and you know and some of the other things that i've heard you know inflammation and growth factors and uh, nitric oxide. I mean, it's like everything related to health, but maybe you can tell us what is happening at the cellular level and then what are the real benefits that people get aside from pain relief from a, a back injury? So let me, um, let me start by, by saying where we, what we started knowing, what we started understanding is that electricity, even before we knew what electricity was, that electricity itself, in a very crude way, when it's applied to the body, can actually have pretty good effects in terms of healing. Just running electricity through your body. Running electricity through your body. And that's how some of these you know, crude TENS systems and everything work. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we've, how long have we known that? Well, the Romans recorded it. Like if you accidentally stepped on like an electric eel, guys were getting cured of like, you know, gout and different things huh. like that. So, or at least their symptoms were being noticeably reduced, right? So to the point where people are trying to do that medicinally. And, and there's been, you know, ever, you know, for thousands of years, people have, have known this. And, and even Luigi Galvani in like 1790 was, you know, well, what's this magical effect of electricity, you know, taking frog legs that have been surgically removed, right. 
off a literally a, what we would now call a lightning rod and, and connecting a, an iron wire to the fog legs. And then as clouds pass overhead, you get a little bit of an electrostatic charge and it makes the fog legs twitch when a cloud passes overhead. You can actually, you know, it's, it's a bit more common, but it's an experiment you can do. And he did publish it in 1791. Oh, wow. So we've known for a long time that electricity does a lot of biological things. Some of them are pretty straightforward, like making muscles twitch, activating nerves, but some of them are kind of weirdly indirect, like, eh, you know, making symptoms of arthritis and battle injuries, you know, flesh wounds and gout, making those better. You mean more than just like pain relief? More than just like pain relief. Huh. It wasn't well documented, but you know, I mean, like Pliny the Elder talked about it. There's, all, there's many records okay. that go back thousands of years, okay? And um, some of these mechanisms are, are understood now, right? Like there's voltage-gated channels in cells. If you put a voltage across them, you know, it, it lets in or lets out different uh, chemical species that has second messenger effects and its signaling effects in the cell and can change cell behavior, right? And can do all kinds of things. So not just making muscles contract. So what is PEMF doing? Well, PEMF, instead of directly causing an electric current like between two wires with a gap in them and you sort of shock somebody, the way that pulsed magnetic fields are working is that when you turn a magnetic field on and then off, it causes an electric field to be induced in something. This is how like induction cooktops work in your home. You put a pot on there. There's no flames. Top of the, you know, the oven is cool. What it's doing is it's causing an electric current that's coupled inductively by a magnet huh. instead of conductively by a wire. So inductive coupling allows you to have space between the, the inductor, the coil, and the thing where the current is being generated. And the current's generated basically anything that's conductive, like uh, your iron pots or the internal body fluids. That are mostly water. Yeah, but they're saline, right? They're mostly salt water. So they conduct. So if you pulse a magnetic field, you will, just basic physics, it's called Faraday's equation, you will cause a current to flow. So how do you get those currents to flow? Well, you got to do a little bit of calculus. So you get you know, a little bit of backwards calculus. You're like, well, if I want to have, I know electricity causes this kind of a biological effect. If I want that kind of electricity what kind of magnetic pulse do I need to get that kind of a resulting electric field with the current that goes with it? That's, so that's sort of what I was doing at NASA. And it was like, um, if you do it right, if you put the magnetic field correctly in there, and it's all about the shape of the wave field, of the magnetic wave, you will get a pretty significant electric current. That much of PEMF, we totally know. We've known that since... Since before PEMF, we've known that induction works probably since 1860. All right, it's uh, it's one of the basic uh, you know uh, equations of electromagnetism. It's called Faraday's equation. It's one of four Maxwell's equations, fundamental to everything that we do nowadays. These are really well established science. It's why your computer works. It's why everything works. Right. Here's the thing about PEMF is it works sort of like a transformer. And the way a transformer works is you have one coil, it's inductively coupled with a magnetic field, 
that's changing to another conductive coil. So the first half of it, we thoroughly understand, we think we do. The first half of that inductive set, we understand that's the engineered part with the coils and the magnets and everything. What we're not understanding is the biological interpretation of those fields. We don't really understand why some of the fields electric effects on, on tissues are. We definitely don't understand what the magnetic effects are. But we can we can take reasonable guesses, and these are things that I'm trying to do experiments to, to actually work. I'm actually working with ETH Zurich right now, which is where Einstein got his PhD. So I'm working with a bunch of guys there huh. to try to figure out what this mechanism is. Now, if you see on a web page where someone's telling you that they know what it is, it energizes, you know, mitochondria, just like charging a battery or anything like that, you can safely click away from that web page. <laughs> They're lying to you, okay? No one knows what this is. The person who elucidates the mechanism of magnetic fields influencing biology in this way is going to get a Nobel Prize. Uh. That's where we're at on it. I'm, I'm confident of that. So they're not going to keep it a secret. They're not going to keep it a secret. They're not going to just whip it up in their garage. They're going to become famous and then rich for doing this because it will open up. My, my, my belief is that there's actually two Nobel Prizes baked into this. One of them is, can you build a scientific instrument to do the tests, which is what I'm working with ETH Zurich on right now. Okay? Okay. And then when you do the experiments, can you show the biological mechanism? So the, what, I, what I hypothesize is happening, and I've you know, talked about this a lot, is that we know that the induction is happening because there's a changing magnetic field. The cool thing about it is that magnetic field just transparently goes through dry skin, glass, you know, bandages, clothing, whatever. It only starts to deliver energy when it runs into something that's a conductor, like your body fluids, okay? So once it starts to go through there, that's why it's so efficient compared to an electrical stimulation. And it affects a really large volume of tissue, not just like an electric shock that takes the least, you know, path of least resistance. When you put induction over a large piece of flesh, you're going to be inducing fields all throughout it. Okay. So my theory on this, and my theory, well, it, it's, it's well enough supported that the first half of it is not a theory. This is science fact. Okay, if I change the, the magnetic field and cause an electric field with induction, that's a fact, I can demonstrate that's happening, that will cause a force to be generated on anything with a charge. That's what electric fields do. They cause things with a charge to accelerate. They put a force on them. So anything in your body that is in a salt water environment that has an electric charge, and that's lots of different things, will get a force put on it by this inductive field. So what, what I already know is happening is that as you put in this magnetic pulse and it goes through your tissues, it's applying a force to charged species in your tissues. So there's two possible things that can happen. Either that charge is bound onto something like a protein, in which case you're bending that protein, you're conformationally, that means the shape, changing it, which is one way of signaling to cells Conformational changes in transmembrane proteins, that's a way to signal cells. That would be happening to anything that's charged anywhere, you know, and, and charged, but it's bound. So it's it would like to accelerate, but it's hooked onto something. The other possibility is that it's a free ion, like something floating around, 
like a like a calcium ion or something in your in your blood or in your extracellular space, in which case the magnetic induction will cause it to accelerate and move in a certain direction. And moving ions is another way to signal cells. All right. So we have two mechanisms of cell signaling that we know are being activated by these changing magnetic fields in a PEMF pulse. What do we not know? We don't know how that signal is biophysically transduced into something that your cells are going to understand and then take action. That's what we don't know. That's the Nobel Prize because that's going to involve a whole class of receptors, uh, transmembrane receptors, cell receptors, even intracellular, not necessarily in the outer membrane, but could be on like a Golgi apparatus, could be a nuclear on the surface of the cell nucleus. These things are being modified by these changes in the electric field. So that's, that's a signal. And when somebody figures out how that signal is turned into something that cells can interpret and then change the way they're, you know, expressing genes or change a protein that they're producing or change their metabolism, they're going to be wearing a white bow tie in Stockholm. Well, and I think that it's not unusual for science to find things that seem to have an effect. I mean, like aspirin had an effect, and nobody knew why. You just uh, you just ate the bark of that tree, and you know you had a it helped your fever or something. That's a perfect example. That's the example I always give to people. But you you pulled it right out, which is, it, which is you know. Most of the things we know in medicine, we don't actually know why they work. Yeah. But they work, and they're generally regarded as safe. That's, there's, there's an actual term in the FDA, G-R-A-S. Well, aspirin generally regarded as safe as long as you don't overdo it. And we yeah. know it reduces inflammation and pain. My, my favorite one, though, is anesthesia. Oh, yeah. That one's crazy, especially if you've been under anesthesia. <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't want to do that again. You can prove to yourself without getting out of a chair that we have no idea how it works because we don't even know how the words that define it, what, how they work. What does anesthesia do? It alters the memory and consciousness of pain. We do not know how memory works. We have no idea even what consciousness is. And actually, biologically, we don't know what pain is either. So if we don't know those three words, there's no way we can know the mechanism of an anesthesia because we don't even with the words that define it. Yeah. I mean, the scary bit about anesthesia is how you have no sense of the passage of time. I mean, when you wake up after a good night's sleep, you can feel that a lot of time has gone by. But it, when you wake up from anesthesia, it could be two seconds later or two decades later. You have no idea. That's correct. And my point is that we don't know why. We don't know how that works. We don't yeah. know which molecule, you know, so you'll have some medical doctor, some surgeon, you'll say, oh, well, we know, you know what, can, and they'll do, they'll say, well, there's papers on this and this molecule connects to this receptor and does this. And then the answer to them is, okay, well, when we make an analog of that mo molecule that's slightly different, connects to the same receptor, does the same thing on that receptor, has no effect like an, an anesthetic. Right. You know, anesthetic. So much for that theory. So that theory is wrong. So any doctor, see, see, Surgeons and physicians, one of the parts of what their training is, is that they, they dress the part and they act the part and because people have to have confidence that they know what they're doing. Sure. And when I give a talk to a bunch of MDs and surgeons in the room, I ask them, you know, would you ever do anything medically without knowing exactly the mechanism of how and why it works? And they're like, humbug, you know, 
no way, right? You know, balderdash, humbug. And, and I'm like, you know, you can just, you can almost see like the pork chop 19, you know, 1880s sideburns on them as they get all, as they get all agitated by my, my simple question. And then once they all admit they'd never do anything unless they thoroughly understood how, then I, then I throw the aspirin and the anesthesia at them. And they're like, well, you know, yeah. Then they stop listening and some of them just walk out of the room because it's, it's so, it causes so much painful cognitive dissonance to them. Yeah, that's the word I was thinking myself. Okay, let's jump into, so we don't know exactly how it is helpful, why it is helpful, but we do know that it is helpful in certain things. You had a personal experience where it it relieved a long-standing, terrible pain situation, and I don't think I got a full understanding of whether it was just blocking pain for a while and then you had to keep going to to reblock the pain or whether it was healing something such that you don't need to treat it after a while. But I think that there are some other benefits that people have reported, or maybe there's been studies about, what can you say? Well, actually that's a really good point. And, and it snaps me out of my, my uh, anger with the medical profession to tell you something useful again, which is we don't know what the mechanism, the biological mechanism is, is, is not well understood. So if somebody tells you they understand it, ask to see their Nobel Prize, yeah. or you can safely not listen to them anymore. Don't buy their stuff. But we do know the out the the the, the you know the far end effects of PEMF actually pretty well. What we're missing is that why do those effects happen? We don't know that, but we do know, and I have data. I actually have third-party independent GLP good laboratory practices, recognized by the FDA data that tells us one thing that PEMF does for sure. PEMF of the type that I use, which is with this tuned uh, waveform shape. Say that again. It, what did you call it? PEMF with a tuned waveform shape. So this, so that when you're seeing square waves, actually you need to know the slope of the sides of the square. And that has a different name? Uh, so it's not, it's PEMF dash something? Well, yeah, I actually, I, I put a trademark on it. I call it ICES so that I can say, I put a trademark on it for the same reason that they trademark the term Bluetooth or, or uh, SD card. So that you can, as the person who invented it, you can say, yes, that is what I'm, talking about or no, they're doing something different. So I have, I have trademarked it as ICES, which stands for inductively coupled electrical stimulation. Okay. In order to achieve that, there's a defined range of slopes of the magnetic field. How quickly you turn it on, how quickly it turns off, that will induce electrical fields that have these observable biological effects. Okay. So what are those observable effects? This is the, the gold ring right here. You do that to say, um, uh, like any any really well, really well described animal model of like swelling and inflammation, and it knocks it right down. So they have these models of like swelling and inflammation that they use um, like with rats in these laboratories that are like certified and they're third party. And there's no way to fake the data. So I actually paid for a series of these experiments. And the PEMF actually reduced swelling in the, in the recognized model of inflammation and swelling, which is called keratinin challenge, where you inject, you don't really do any permanent harm to the animals. You don't have to. You just inject carrageenan, which is like an extract from like seaweed. It causes a lot of inflammation. So the immune system 
runs to this and creates inflammation? A lot of swelling, a lot of inflammation. You can measure the swelling with by plethysmography, right? So like the limbs get larger and you can measure that by dunking them in a glass of a known volume, right? Of fluid. So yeah, it's very consistent. It has a very consistent time course where it builds up to a maximum around three or four hours and tapers off for the next few hours. And it's used to uh, quantify the effectiveness of every NSAID that you've ever heard of and all the ones you've never heard of. And anything that is used against inflammation, swelling, has been tested with these devices, with this particular protocol. Okay. And you can have it tested in what's called a contract research laboratory, CRL. And I've got one 18 miles down the road here from me in, in RTP in North Carolina, in Research Triangle Park. And when they tested my device on, on this model, I actually got a call the next morning from the guy who was the director of inflammation studies for Charles River Labs. And he was calling from Finland. And he said, he says, is this Dr. Dennison? Like, yeah. He said, well, you know, we're analyzing this data and it is the most remarkable data we've ever seen for the reduction, you know, using an, any electromagnetic device, period. And what he was telling me was that they've never seen an electromagnetic device that actually had measurable effects on inflammation, but this, our, our device was knocking it down. And I mean, I've got, I've got the results of this study. This is something you can, right. if you're a legit scientist, I will send you the results. I don't really know how, I mean, that would just say that your electromagnetic device is better than the other ones, but how is it compared to like ibuprofen or something I might know? It's about the same, but it seems to work on a different, well, it's about the same as the most potent anti-inflammatories. So it's way better than ibuprofen, but it's about the same as the like prescription one. Oh, okay. But I guess with the advantage that you don't have to have it everywhere in your body, you just put it right where you want it. And you don't accommodate to it because it's not like a chemical accommodation, right, where you habituate to it. Um, you can use it for years and years with no diminution of effect, no need to increase the dosage. And... The interesting thing is that the mechanism that it's because inflammation is a really big thing. It's like saying, you know, I got a, I'm, I'm sick. Well, there's a lot of different ways to be sick, right? Oh, I got inflammation. There's a lot of different mechanisms. Hey, look, if an inflammation was one thing, then we would only need aspirin, and then then we're good, right? But there's different mechanisms of it, and PEMF seems to, at its fundamental level, seems to turn off some kind of pathological inflammation that is really, really effective. And it's really durable. Like in, in many cases, it can go on for a long period of time. By that, you mean at one treatment, the benefit will last for a long time? It depends on the type of injury. There's one study that showed in rabbits where they were causing like a hematoma with like a surgical like a instrument on rabbit ears that actually reduced that kind of swelling for the entire lifetime of the animal. So it like healed it. Yeah, it did. And then in some cases, it, like in my case, it reduces the swelling for about a day and a half. So that's way longer than TENS, which only lasts maybe 10 or 15 minutes after you turn it off. It's way longer than any pharmacologic, right? Well, if it's more than 24 hours, then you're going to sleep. And, and now you actually have a chance of having a life. That is correct. So that's my, you know, my, my goal in life is that your grandchildren and my grandchildren can walk into a CVS pharmacy or a Walgreens, buy one of these things off a hook, and they can do something that doesn't involve an injection, doesn't involve surgery, doesn't involve a pill, and they can yeah. they can have agency over their 
injuries. And so we started, you know, a lot of people, people are desperate for this kind of thing. Once you get injured, you realize, you know, injury is just a fact of life. When, when you actually quantify how quickly people heal, like if you actually have surgical assessment of post-injury healing, not kidding around. Uh, we did this actually in Egypt. It was the first time we did this, but we've done this with other animal injuries and everything. It accelerates your healing rate by a factor of two to three. So if it would normally take you six weeks to heal from a certain sur- surgical wound, it will only actually take you two to three weeks using PEMF. That's really great. Let me ask you a question, because that that sounds like the kind of promise you hear when you get a near-infrared red light lamp. And I actually haven't tried to use it for this purpose because I haven't had something to heal. But are these similar mechanisms, do you think? Yeah, I guess light wavelengths and electrical pulses are maybe having this a similar effect on the cells? Well, I'll tell you my opinion. So, because I don't know this for sure, but my opinion is that there's some pretty good science that's come out in the last couple of years that shows that like uh, infrared and red light, visible red and infrared light, does actually have an effect on the mitochondrial electron transport chain. So it allows your mitochondria to generate more energy, more ATP, and that can accelerate many cellular processes and it may also accelerate healing. So we, we kind of know that there's that mechanism, right? But many things have more than one effect. There might be another mechanism where it's turning down inflammation. Nobody's shown that yet, but nobody's shown that for PEMF either, right? So they might, they might have an overlap, sort of like the overlap between, well, good nutrition can help you as an athlete, but then so also can supplements. Yeah. There's a lot of literature on, on you know, creatine. And there's a ton of literature on that. And there's a ton of literature on the fact that, well, some things, as you get older, you have to supplement because you can't really get that much, you know, made in your liver or out of a typical diet. You know, I think a great example there is uh, L-glycine, right? You know, you need about 12 to 15 grams a day. Internally, you can make about three grams a day. And unless you eat a lot of skin and tendons every day, you're not getting enough. There's not much in red meat. So... So, yeah, you know, there's this overlap between nutrition and supplementation. There's an overlap between the positive effects of nutrition and exercise. There's a positive. So I think there's probably a synergistic overlap between light therapy, which is now being pretty well supported medically, and PEMF. And the other thing I can tell you is I, I surveyed 421 alternative clinicians. Yeah. And the ones who had used PEMF with anything else they told me two-thirds of them responded by saying pmf works synergistically with whatever else they were doing whether it was acupuncture chiropractic uh some of them were like uh, prp low-level laser therapy massage acupuncture um uh stem cell stuff just anything i could think of they said you know two-thirds of them said yeah when you add pmf it it makes that work as well as it, as it possibly could. Oh, that's interesting to know. Yeah, it's really weird, and it's really consistent. I hear this all the time. So the thing that's really cool about PEMF is I personally think it's probably the greatest health and medical adjunct treatment. It seems to make everything else work better. So what do I think PEMF is doing? That's eh, maybe a little bit different from light, maybe a little bit different from everything else. PEMF seems to suppress 
pathologic swelling and pathologic inflammation, and it lets your tissues work the way they want to work. So it's PEMF doesn't force anything. PEMF is more like permissive, right? Uh, let your body do what it wants to do, it's supposed to do. You want to prove this to yourself as a 50-year-old person? Use PEMF and you'll heal like a 20-year-old person. You'll heal, heal at the rate you remember, you, you heal that. So for people who are young, you know, a lot of these treatments and things that people can do, they only work if you're basically young and healthy. The weird thing about PEMF is that it works on people the older you are and the more chronic your condition, the better it works. Because what I think it's doing is it's suppressing things that come along with being older and having chronic conditions. I don't know why. Well, nobody knows what aging is anyway. So, um, in fact, you know, we were just talking about the aspirin, right? As long as we know that it provides some benefit, then somebody else can figure out why. Well, I think that's a great thing. And here's the thing. So, my engineer comes leaping out here going, as soon as we understand exactly how it works, we can make it even better. Right. Well, so yeah. when you really understand how something works, you can make it more efficient, more effective. Right. I mean, we kind of knew why airplanes flew, you know, in 1920. But the more we understood about why they were flying, the better they became. Right. Yeah, that's a fair point. Just like any other kind of technology, the more we understand the nuts and bolts of exactly why it's working, how we can make it work really well. And there's all kinds of like ways to describe this to people in electron, like if. If I had an audience of electronic engineers, I'd say, you know, our better our understanding of quantum physics and give some examples, you know, the better our electronics are. Of course, you know, if you're an electrical engineer, you're like, yeah, it follows, right? So the better our understanding of these basic biological mechanisms of PEMF, the more we could say, okay, we want the signal to do exactly this, exactly yeah. this way. We know Now we know exactly how to do the dosing. And we can make the system really efficient, which means you can make it small and cheap and really reliable. That's what we want, right? And so I've, I've, I've been pretty good headway towards that simply by determining what the, the clinical outcome is. So in a way, I have this back that never fully – so I'm going to answer your question from earlier. Does it block pain? Not really. Does it cause things to heal? Pretty much. Are the effects permanent or – or do you have to keep going back to it? Well, here's the answer. I actually have been able to answer that. For people with orthopedic injuries that are chronic and not healing, if you use PEMF, there's a very good chance, about a 93% chance, that it will, like, uh, you know, like, uh, like, uh, like a fractured um, uh, bone fra non-union that never yeah. healed or like these, these you know, uh, bone fractures in feet that never heal for some people or maybe back pain. About 93.5% of the time, based on people who use my system, feedback from them, it actually makes it better. And of that 93.5% of the people who use it, I mean, makes it much better. Like, the pain is virtually gone. If you use PEMF for about two weeks longer than, you be, than it takes for you to become asymptomatic, so you're saying, okay, the pain's gone away, but I know there's still some tissue injury, so I'm going to keep using PEMF to really let the tissue recovery, regeneration kind of fully go, right? So, so if you use PEMF properly, which is pretty simple, and you just use it till you don't feel the pain anymore, plus two weeks, if it helps you, 93.5% chance that it will, with an orthopedic injury, 80% of those people, that injury never comes back again. 20%, yeah, you got to keep using PEMF. 80%, 
it's pretty much whatever that injury was, it's gone and never comes back. And I'm talking about, when I say never, I'm talking about for as long as I've been doing this, which for some people now is well over 10 years. All right. Well, that's pretty impressive. Um, okay, Bob, this has been a really great conversation. Let's wrap up. I'm going to ask you to tell us how we can uh, find your company, your information. And then also, if there's anything that we didn't manage to get to, that, but you think is really important for people to understand, this is your chance. Okay. Well, first of all, I am Robert G. Dennis. You can look me up on LinkedIn. I'm a legit scientist, a legitimate engineer. My background is open for the world to see. You can find me on LinkedIn. Okay. I'm very active consultant for biomedical companies. And so you'll see all that stuff there. No need for me to tell you about it. You can find my company. It is micro-pulse, micro-pulse.com. If you go to our webpage, it's a very kind of hokey little webpage. I'm not trying to impress anybody with uh, web graphics or anything. You can see the things that I build there. They're all, they're not FDA approved. It's all stuff I just put together. It helps me. It helps a lot of people. I've sold this to up maybe 9,000 people. It's just me and my wife running this company. We don't have anybody in the middle. So, you know, our margins very, very modest. We're doing this to help people. And if you want to see how it's helping people, you can get on our forum. Just, uh, just contact us through the company. I'll point you right to the forum. And it's best if you ask all your questions on the forum. And it's a searchable forum. There's like hundreds and hundreds of people on there. And you can see we have a long discussions going on about how different PEMF systems work and why they work and how people are lying about them. And then a lot of people are doing experiments. We're, we're doing an experiment now with a company in Istanbul and Madrid and Bangkok on hair regrowth. And the initial... Studies seem to be that, yeah, you regain pigmentation in your hair and hair thickness. That's great. So they might not work out that way, but the study is going on. You know, I talk about it to people who ask me about it on our forum, which is a Flux Health forum. And I'll point you right to it if you awesome. contact me through the company. But that's that's basically it. So what else do I want to tell you? Yeah. Um, PMF is really remarkable. I was totally wrong about it. I was absolutely just flabbergasted by how well it works which makes me super angry every time people lie about it because you don't need to lie about it. Nobody needs to lie about the fact that chocolate ice cream is delicious. Well, maybe if you want to charge extra, then you got to make extra promises. <laughs> the thing is that, you know, PMF, it, it's like the real deal. And it's something that I think everyone should have in their armamentarium for when you get an injury, um, when you need it. It's not going to make you live forever. It's not going to make you, you know, run at 110% power. But it does speed up your recovery. It speeds up your healing. It reduces your overall suffering. Those The thing it does for older athletes is it lets you get back out and train because these, yeah. these lingering injuries, you can manage them. Yeah, fantastic. And, and if anybody's got pain and that's interfering with their sleep, then they're never going to get anywhere. That's right. That's really awesome. Bob, thank you very much. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it was a blast. I learned a ton. Man, I got to find me a pulse electromagnetic device. All right. You have a good one. All right, man. You too. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening in to my discussion with Bob Dennis about PEMF. Check out the show notes for links to Bob and the resources he mentioned for learning about PEMF.